0: To be open with our emotions, with God when we pray. Well, why is that? I love asking questions. Well, we're going to find out in just a minute. But first, let's read together our introductory verse from the Psalms, Psalm 119, verse 145. So remain seated and let's read from the screen together. With my whole heart I cry, answer me, O Lord, I will keep your statutes. Let me begin to answer the question I just asked about prayer by giving some background that shapes Western thinking, even if you're not consciously aware of it. And I had no idea about this until going to seminary and church, looking into church history and some other things. I want to start by looking at three views of the human heart, Greek, modern, and biblical. In ancient Greek philosophy, feelings and emotions were believed to be connected to the body. The body is physical, and in this particular view, anything physical is seen as secondary or even as bad, something to be avoided. Human reason and will were believed to be connected to the soul. The soul was considered to be spiritual, and anything spiritual was good. It was better than physical. It was good. And so as a result, the individual who wanted to be a good person was told, you elevate your reason and you stifle your emotions. Elevate the reason, stifle the emotions. Okay, well, this obviously puts the two of those in conflict. Modern Western culture also pits reason against emotion. But in this case, it elevates emotions above everything else we are told, you must be true to yourself. When you translate that, what that means is, you must be true to your feelings. If you follow this, the result is, basically, you become a slave to your feelings. But there's a problem with this idea. Well, more than one, but let me just mention one. And that is that our feelings change constantly. When I say constantly, I mean all through the day, every day. You and I can be, go from being very happy to very angry in less than a second. It happens to all of us. So two different views of the heart. One elevates reason, the other one elevates emotions, but both divide the heart. In the biblical view of the heart, you don't divide the heart. In this view, the heart includes our emotions, our reason, our thinking, our will, our trusts, so all the things we trust, our hopes and our imagination. The heart is one interwoven whole. And you see that view in the verse that we just read, Psalm 119, 145. The writer says, With my whole heart I cry to you, O Lord. And because our hearts are interwoven, our thinking affects our feelings, and our feelings Affect our thinking. They're connected. I mean, think about it. I've been told this many times. When you have been deeply hurt, deeply distressed, that is not the, a good time to make a significant decision. Why? Because our thinking, our, our our feelings affect our thinking. They're connected. Now, I don't know about you, but I did not enjoy history when I was in school. Okay, having to learn all of these names and dates and places so that I could recite them back on a test. Well, I've been out of school for a while, and I find that I enjoy history a whole lot more now. So let me share a little bit of history with you. As Western Europe moved from about 1,000 A.D. to, let's say, 1,600 A.D., there were many, many changes going on. There was the whole serfdom way of life. If you are born a serf, you stayed a serf. That began to fade. The middle class began to rise. The printing press came into being, and so all of a sudden, using printed material became much easier to spread ideas. But there was another shaping factor that I want to mention, and that was the development and spread of the university. And in the university, the Greek language... And Greek philosophy was rediscovered, which includes this Greek view of the heart. And it's my understanding that this view ended up shaping Western culture, including shaping Protestant Reformation when it began in the 1500s and 1600s. Now, here's why I say this. An honest look at Reformed denominations, of which Presbyterians are one, We'll show you an emphasis on the mind and reason and caution about emotions. Okay? An emphasis on the mind and reason and caution about emotions. Now, I grew up in the church, and I don't ever remember having a classroom training on prayer where somebody sat me down and said to me and the other students, here is how you pray and what prayer is and all these things. I learned by watching others. And what I learned was to always be formal and respectful in my prayers. And I didn't think of it at the time, but I also learned to be somewhat distant from God. Now, prayer should always be respectful, but here's what I took. Not necessarily what people intended, what they were thinking, but here's what I took from this. I could not express my darker emotions, fears, worries, concerns, sorrow, and things to God in prayer. And I had to be careful in expressing any emotion at all. Well, you know what? That does not make for a good relationship when you can't talk or don't talk about your emotions at all. Now, I also recognize this. That's my experience, and what I've looked at is a kind of a generalization. So your experience might be a little different. So if, if this isn't true for you, it is true for some. And for other Christian uh, churches and groups that are very high on emotion, there's still a balancing that needs to be done, but that's another time to talk about that. So in general, in the Reformed denominations, you have this emphasis on reason, caution about emotions. Well, in contrast to this, look at the Psalms. When you look at the Psalms, you see a full range of emotions. Remember that psalms were used as prayers and also as songs. So here's, if you put up the slide, here's a list of just a few of the emotions you encounter in the psalms. Praise, delight, disorientation, sorrow, perplexity, grief, fear, doubt, hope, agitation, thanksgiving, anticipation, joy, confession, confidence. And that's just that's not the whole list, but that's pretty extensive. There's all different kinds of things that you see there. And the writers of the Psalms were respectful to God, but they were also very open and honest about their emotions. So let me also say this. There is a sense in which emotions are like your temperature. Your temperature, your body temperature, is an indicator of the health of your body. If the temperature is too low, core temperature is too low or too high, you're not well. You're unhealthy. In the same way, our emotions are an indicator of the condition of our heart. And here's the thing. Your heart and mine is always active. Our heart is always hoping. It's always planning. It's always responding to circumstances. So as Christians, what should we do with our hearts as we respond to the circumstances of life. And so now I'm going to connect this question with the three views we just looked at. If you put up the slide. First thing, don't stifle your emotions. Remember, that was the Greek view. Elevate reason, stuff the emotions. I'm very familiar with that one. Second, don't let your emotions rule you. That's response to the modern view that says, follow your feelings. Instead, express your emotions and respond biblically to them. Now, the sermon today is going to focus on that first part of the third, expressing our emotions. I hope to speak more next week about responding biblically to your emotions. But think about this. Every emotion that we have, and again, we don't have control over our emotions to decide what we're going to be feeling exactly. And each response to our circumstances has some motivation, some desire behind it. And the Bible shows us both godly and ungodly responses to life. But what we can do in terms of just speaking briefly about responding biblically is we can apply biblical truth to ourselves. For example, in the Psalms, you will find some Psalms where the writer shares his heart with God But he also speaks to himself. Actually, Eric Pratt, I believe last week in the prayer confession, I think he was referring to Psalm 42, where the writer begins, in great sorrow, and in kind of a typical fashion of the day, said, my tears are my food. Okay, now if you're saying that, you're not just a little bit sad. Okay, it's almost overwhelming how sad you are and what you're dealing with. But the writer doesn't just stop there, talking about his sorrow. He goes on to speak to himself and say, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Hope in God. So the writer's sharing where he's at, but he's also speaking to God and speaking to himself. And we can do that same type of thing in terms of applying biblical truth to ourselves. That, again, we'll talk some more next week. But here's a a related thought, and it's a key thought, and we still have the slide up. God desires us to be real with him when we pray, not to pretend. And so you see that note at the bottom of the slide. Real prayer is when the real you talks to the real God. Now, that's not original with me. I borrowed that from Paul Miller, who wrote a wonderful book on prayer. And it's not techniques of prayer either. It's about our relationship. With God. But this real prayer is like a path with two cliffs, one on either side. The path is the real prayer where you and I are expressing our hearts and we're also applying Scripture. One cliff on one side is to present a fake self in prayer. And I think the most common way that we do that is by just not mentioning our own circumstances, and where we are in terms of responding to our circumstances. Just kind of leave that out. The other cliff on the other side is to have or to build a false view of God, a view that is not shaped by the Bible. We'll see an example of that in a little bit. Well, One of the reasons that you and I can express all of our emotions to God and be confident that we will not be rejected is because of the covenant relationship that God made with us. Covenant relationship is both personal and legal. And in this relationship, what we see is that God chose to have a relationship with us. God worked at great cost to himself to have this relationship with us. And he has said he will never reject us. Now, that's a reason for confidence. So in the remainder of the sermon today, I want to take a brief look at portions of six different psalms and the emotions that the writer expresses. And let me start with praise. Psalm 149, verses 1 and 2. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song, His praise in the assembly of the godly. Let Israel be glad in His Maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their King. Now, I was somewhat moderate in that, in speaking that. Praise can be loud and boisterous, which is really what this uh, psalm is intended. So if you're going to do it like the writer intended, it's going to be praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. Now, that's so un-Presbyterian. <laughs> but that's what is intended. And our praise to God can be that loud and boisterous kind. It can also be quiet and deep praise. But praise is speaking back to God, declaring to God, and then rejoicing in who God is. When you and I are praising God, we should be doing more than just saying, praise the Lord. You see, in the Bible, you see that God is love, and God is patient, and he's faithful. He's jealous in a good way. He's jealous for our attention to him. Because of all the love he's shown us, he's merciful and wise and kind and gentle and gracious and just, and there's even more that God is. He's also eternal, all-knowing, and unchanging. And so praising God is talking back to God about his love and his patience and his faithfulness and all of these things that God is. Now, one of the recommendations that Paul Miller makes in his book, and I think it's wonderful and freeing, he says when you go to pray, start with whatever, wherever your heart is. Whatever's on your mind, whatever has kind of captured you, whether it's something you're enjoying, something you're worried about, something that you're uh, uncertain about or sad about, start wherever you are, but be sure to include praise in your prayer. Because you see, praising God reminds us of who God is, that he's the one who chose to love us, and he's the one who said, here's how much I love you. I want to spend eternity with you in heaven where everything is perfect. See, praising God can correct our view of God if it's gotten out of whack, out out of joint, because it reminds us of God's character. And when that happens, that often gives us a new perspective on our circumstances. Second, sorrow, Psalm 22, verses 1 and 2, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? O oh my God, I cry day by day, but you do not answer, and by night, and I find no rest. King David wrote this, but it was Jesus who borrowed from this psalm when he was on the cross. Now, you see that David starts the psalm with sorrow. But if you read the whole thing, and it's a pretty long psalm, he doesn't stay stuck in sorrow. He moves. Remember this. Our emotions reveal the condition of our heart. Look with me for a second at what David is saying, where he shows his heart is. David felt abandoned. He's saying, God, why why did you forsake me? I feel abandoned forsaken. But he knows God had not forsaken him. That's just where his heart was at the moment. David felt far from God. David didn't think that God was listening. David's soul was weary. David's being honest. This is where he was at that moment. And why did he feel that way? Well, we're not told the particulars of the details in the psalm. But David was likely struggling with his circumstances. If you go back and look at his life, you will see that God, notice how I say this, God walked David through difficult circumstances many times. That's why David could write in Psalm 23, he leads me through the valley of the shadow of death. Okay, God is with him. Well, you know what, it's not surprising that David did not like all those difficulties because none of us do. And so he talks to God, God, this is where I'm at. You see, if you and I do not acknowledge the sorrow in our hearts when we talk to God, we're going to be less likely to turn to God for comfort. And again, when you look at Psalm 22, David's attitude, his heart changes, it moves. It doesn't stay stuck there. He's praising God and thanking God and remembering how good God is. Third, thanksgiving. Psalm 9, verse 1. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. So when we praise God, we're focusing on who God is. In thanksgiving, when we thank God, we're remembering what God has done for us, what God is doing today And what he promises to do. So when you think about it, we have a lot to give to thank God for at any point. So think with me for a second. God created everything that exists, including you and me. He's given us every good gift we have ever had or we have right now. He might have used somebody to give that gift to us, but it was from him. God is constantly working today. We call that God's providence. God sent Jesus to rescue from ourselves and from sin. God gives the Holy Spirit to every Christian. God forgives all of our sinful, selfish rebellion, and the list goes on. Now, thanking God is very helpful, especially when we're wanting God to act in a particular way and God either said no or he has not answered. And at that moment, when we're there really wanting something and God either said no or not yet, we are tempted to question God's goodness. And if we follow that thought, we end up questioning God's goodness. Does he really care? Now, who's whispering that in your ear? Satan, the evil one. That's basically what he was telling Adam and Eve. Oh, God doesn't really care about you. Look at what he's denied you. This one tree. Satan loves to whisper that idea. And when you and I follow it, all of a sudden, we don't trust God anymore because we're not sure that he's good right now. Thanking God reminds us of all the concrete ways, specific ways, God has done us good, and we can remember that God is always good. Fourth, confession, Psalm 51, verses 1 to 4. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. David uses three different words for his sin, sin, transgression, and iniquity. And he writes this confession after trying for some period of time to hide his sins of adultery and murder. And if you go back and read the account, you you see that what happened is, in his kindness, God sent the prophet Nathan to confront David. And he told him a story that grabbed David's heart. And then Nathan had God had Nathan do this: "You're the man. You're guilty." And at that point, he said, you're right, I am. And the result of that encounter was this psalm. And you'll notice that in the psalm, David does not try to minimize his sin at all. He does not make any excuses. In fact, David has come to hate his sin, to regret it. David knows that he does not deserve to be forgiven but he knows God's character. And so he asks God, would you, would you cleanse me? Would you forgive me? And though David sinned against Bathsheba and against her husband Uriah, David knows that in, in sinning against them, he sinned against God. And so he asked God to forgive him. And he talks about God's forgiveness when he asks to be washed and cleansed. You see, just like David, you and I, whenever we sin, we turn away from God. And in confession and repentance, we turn back to God. Have you ever been in this situation? And I will tell you that I have. You decide, I want this thing. I don't care what God says. I go ahead and disobey God and sin, going after this one thing I desire. And I realize that I was wrong to do it. And I've even talked to God this way. God, I know what I did was wrong, but I'm not ready to confess yet. I just I'm not there. I don't want to do it. Why? Because part of my heart still wants to keep hold of that desire. If you're ever in that place, I would suggest you do this. Talk to God and just take a smaller step. Don't don't confess when it's not real. Say, okay, God, here I am. I'm not really ready to confess yet. Would you help me to hate my sin? And see if he won't answer that so that you can come to the place where David did and say, I was wrong, I let go. Number five, perplexity. This is from Psalm 73, 16 and 17. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me wearisome, a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. Psalm 73 is a classic account of a person who sees the wicked people seeming to prosper, and he's envious now he doesn't ask these questions, but I think you can see the thought of these questions in his conversation that he writes in in seventy three I think he's looking at these evil people and their seemingly easy life, prosperous life, and he asks himself, "Why am I working so hard?" Why am I working so hard at pleasing God? These people aren't. And look at their life. Doesn't it look good? And then he asked the question, why is life so hard for me? You can almost hear him starting to whine on this. So that's verse 16. In verse 16, at that moment the righteous life that God calls us to live seems so hard and so unrewarding. Then verse 17, he walks into the sanctuary and God reminds him, God reminds the writer, a person who rejects God all of their life, which is what those evil people were doing, They're going to spend an eternity, not just without God, who is everything that is good and wonderful, but they're going to spend an eternity with God's judgment and punishment on them. He walks into the, the sanctuary, and God says, You've been looking too closely. You've got blinders on your eyes, you're only looking at the circumstances of the moment. Look at eternity. From the point of eternity, their life, they just lost. They just lost eternity because of what they chose. And the writer says, and he doesn't quite say it this way, I should put my hand on my mouth. I almost said all of this out loud in front of everybody that, these, that their life was better of the evil people. Well, because you and I are human, there is so much that we don't know, and there's so much that we don't understand. So it's no wonder that we're perplexed. It's not a bad thing to be perplexed. It's a human thing for us to be perplexed. See, we often don't know why God does something or why God allows something, but we do know this. We know how we would like the world to run, don't we? And there's this big disconnect. My plan makes perfect sense to me. It looks good to me. And God, you're choosing something else. Okay, well, of course, that disconnect leads to confusion and perplexity. Well, here's what we know. It's good to remember that you and I are not God, and we never will be. He's a whole lot smarter and greater than we are. And by going to God with our confusion, we have the opportunity... To remember God's character and for God to speak to us just like God spoke to the writer of Psalm 73 and we also it also gives us the opportunity to trust God in this circumstance where we don't know and understand exactly what God is doing and then our final psalm is on hope Psalm 33 verses 20 to 22 our soul waits for the Lord He is our help and our shield, for our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in you. Look at all the words that are included there. I didn't underline them on the slide. Our soul, my soul waits for you, God. God, you're my help. You're my shield. You protect me. My heart is glad with you, God. I trust you. I trust your steadfast love. where I have hope because of you. The focus of the writer is on God and his character, and the result is hope. And so even in the darkest of times, you and I can have hope. And one of the things that leads us to hope is remembering all of these things about God about his character, about what he's done in the past and who he is. We can praise God and we can thank him and we can have hope because if nothing else, we know that this life is not all there is, that he's going to walk us through this just like he was walking David through those dark times. He's going to walk us through this, whatever it is, with the dark and the fun, but then it's going to be light, an eternity of light and greatness with God. So God made us to have a real relationship with Him, and as I said, real prayer is when the real you talks to the real God about all of life. You and I are real when we share our emotions with God in prayer, when we, also when we confess our neediness to God. This answers the Greek view that says, no, you ought to stifle your emotions. You and I are real when we boldly ask God for our desires, like little children do. We've seen little children, five and six especially, maybe a little older, a little younger. What, yes. Whatever idea comes in the head, Daddy, can I have? You know, it's like or, or mom says, We're having this for dinner tonight. Oh, but can we have McDonald's instead? Can I have this toy? Can I go play this game? Will, will you play with me for the next five hours? Okay? The questions keep coming, right? The requests? Okay? Well, you and I are real when we boldly ask God for our desires, in a sense unfiltered, respectful but unfiltered. But then we wait patiently for God to show us his answer. Okay? That's where, it's a, that's where we need to be a little different from the little children. Little children, until they're taught, when parents say no, they throw a hissy fit. Okay, they throw a tantrum because they really want it, and they're going to maneuver to try to get it. We can, we're can. we real when we boldly ask God for what we want, but then we wait to see how God's going to answer. You and I are real when we pray, even when we don't feel like it. This is a response to the modern view that says, I have to follow up my feelings, So if I don't feel like reading the Bible today, well, then I guess I can't read the Bible. And if I don't feel like praying, I guess I just don't pray. I can remember um, being young and being in church, and my father was a preacher. I never thought growing up I was going to be a preacher. It was God's laugh on me. But I remember him saying one time from the pulpit in front of the entire congregation to my utter horror, that there were times where he did not feel like praying. And my thought was, oh, my goodness, Dad, that is so unspiritual. How can you say such a thing? But he went on to say that he had learned that when that happened, that he would keep talking to God. God, here I am, and I really don't feel like talking to you. I don't feel like praying. But he would keep talking. And he said the amazing thing was almost every time he would end up wanting to pray. So you and I are real when we choose to pray even when we don't feel like it. You and I are real when we choose to take time in our prayer to focus on God and his kingdom. The Lord's prayer, Jesus' model prayer, reminds us of that if we remember it. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. That it's not just about us but that God made us part of his kingdom. So we're real when we pray, God, thank you for reminding me that I'm part of your kingdom. And you want me to pray not only for my desires, but for yours. Not only for what I'm working on, but what you're working on. And you and I are real when we ask God to help us to pray real prayers to him. You see, you might be here thinking, well this is a really nice thing mark for me to be open with my emotions with god and to and to try to go after this real prayer but i have no clue and it looks really scary to me i can tell you that god has been working on me especially the last several years moving me in this direction moving me to be more open in prayer and to talk with god and to be reminded by god in prayer and it is It has changed my relationship with God. And that's my prayer for you. So if you're here today and thinking, I'm just not there, well, then pray and ask God to get you there. Pray and ask God, would you help me to pray real prayers? Would you you grow my relationship with you so it is more real to me? And God will answer that prayer, and he'll say yes. Let's close with prayer. Lord, we thank you that you're the one that pursues us to begin the relationship, you're the one that continues to pursue us as you grow us in our relationship with you. Just as you grow us physically from babies to adults, you grow us spiritually from spiritual babies to spiritual adults. We never stop being depending to, to depending on you. Lord, we thank you for loving us and being just and good. We thank you for teaching us. We thank you for being so patient. Lord, we pray that you would work in us, would you help us more and more to pray real prayers and to have a real relationship with you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Now we're going to sing.
1: I'll invite you to stand. One of the things that Pastor Hayes uh, preached about was Psalms of Sorrow. Uh, We read in Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now we're going to sing another song that's based on a psalm of sorrow, which is uh, from Psalm 130. That goes, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. So let's sing this song together, Out of the Depths. Out of the depths, O oh Lord, I cry to you when I am tempted to despair. Though I might fail to trust your promises, you never fail to hear my prayer. And if you judged my sins, i never stand again but i see mercy in your hands some more than watchmen for the morning i will wait for you my god when my fears come with no warning in your word i'll put my trust when the harvest time is over and i still see no fruit I will wait, I will wait for you. The Secret Mysteries. The Secret Mysteries belong to you. We only know what you reveal end all my questions that are unresolved don't change the wisdom of your will in every trial in every trial and loss my hope is in the cross where your compassions never fail so more than watchmen for the morning i will wait for you my god when my fears come with no warning in your word i'll put my trust when the harvest time is over and i still see no fruit i will wait i will wait for you Let's finish with in every trial and loss. In every trial and loss, my hope is in the cross, where your compassion never fails. Another thing that uh, Pastor Hayes talked about was confession. Uh, this is the song that we sang before the service, Created Me. It's, it's the psalm that we uh, that we learned and that we read together during the service created in me a clean heart from Psalm 51. So let's go ahead and uh, sing this song again. Please have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. Blot out my Iniquity, whiter than the snow, whiter than the snow that falls, is the soul washed in your blood. I'm guilty, come cover me. Create in me, create in me a clean heart, a pure heart you are the joy of my salvation created me a clean heart a pure heart here in your presence i will sing. sin is brought sin has brought me to my knees mercy lifts me to my feet, gratefulness is filling me, created me, created me, a clean heart, a pure heart, you are the joy of my salvation, created me, a clean heart, a pure heart, here in your presence I will sing. Just as I am, just as I am without one plea, but that you shed your blood for me, and you bid me come, O Lamb of God. Let's sing up from the top, just as I am just as i am without one plea but that you shed your blood for me and you bid me come o lamb of god i come created me created me a clean heart a pure heart you are the joy of my salvation Created me a clean heart, a pure heart. Here in your presence I will sing. Sing that last line. Here in your presence I will sing. So Pastor Hayes also spoke about uh, songs and psalms with perplexity. Uh, he read through Psalm 73, where we read, But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God, and then I discerned their end. So now we're going to sing a song that's based on Psalm 3, which I think has a very similar arc. Um, it's, it's one that starts with concern over God's foes and how God's foes um, seem to be overpowering the righteous. But then it transitions into David proclaiming triumphantly that God will give the righteous the victory, so let's sing through Psalm three together. Let's sing O oh Lord, O oh Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise against me, how many say I won't be saved? O oh Lord, how many are my foes? They're saying of my soul, there's no salvation in his god, but you, O oh Lord, are she about me, you're my glory and the lifter of my hand Sing, you, O Lord, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me you're my glory and the lifter of my head and now this is the triumphant part i cried out to the lord i cried out for his salvation the lord he answered me from his holy hill i lay down and i sleep and yet still i wake again for my lord my savior will sustain me arise arise my lord and save me strike all my enemies for you strike the cheek and break the teeth of my foes Salvation comes from you, God. Lord, it belongs to you and your blessing be upon your people. Sing hallelujah. 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 You're the lifter of my head. Sing hallelujah again. Hallelujah. 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 So for our last uh, two songs, we're going to go on the subjects of thanksgiving and hope. Uh, Pastor Hayes read from Psalm uh, 9, where it says, I give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart, and, and I will recount all of your wondrous deeds. Um, so now for our next song, we're going to sing something that Dave Philman wrote. Uh, this is a song, I rest in thee. This is based on Psalm 116, and, and I love this one because when we talk about hope and thankfulness, one of the things that we can be hopeful, and, and hopeful for and thankful for the reality of is the fact that ultimately God will give us rest. And in Psalm 116, it reads, Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our Lord is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. So let's sing, I rest in thee. In thy goodness. In thy goodness I find rest. In thy love a sweet repose. And from thy bounty I am blest To joyfulness that overflows. I rest, O oh Lord, I rest in thee. Content within thy will to be. No matter what thou hast for me. I rest, O Lord, I rest in Thee. From my burdens. From my burdens I find rest. From my cares a sure release. To Jesus Christ who knows me best. I give them all for matchless peace. I rest, O Lord, I rest in Thee, content within Thy will to be. No matter what Thou hast for me, I rest, O Lord, I rest in Thee. In thy counsel I find rest, in thy laws a steadfast guide. Thy word upon my heart impressed equips me to in faith abide. I rest, O Lord, I rest in thee, content within thy will to be. No matter what Thou hast for me, I rest, O Lord, I rest in Thee. In Thy kingdom, in Thy kingdom, I'll find rest. In Thy house I'll dwell amazed, forever in Thy presence blessed. Forever in thy glory bathe, I rest, O Lord, I rest in thee, content within thy will to be. No matter what thou hast for me, I rest, O Lord, I rest in thee. And for our final song, on the same subject of thankfulness, thanksgiving, and hope, we're going to sing the song, Blessed is the One, where we're going to sing about the thankfulness of God's salvation. This comes from Psalm 32, where we read, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. So let's sing, blessed is the one. Blessed is the one whose sins are overcome, whom God has sheltered deep within his grace. Blessed is the one who trusts in God the Son, His steadfast love, the sinner's hiding place. Jesus, your blood covers all my sins. Jesus, your blood covers all my sins. Jesus, your love draws my heart to sing. What a Savior, Jesus. I will always hide at my Savior's side. I will always hide. At my Savior's side, I find my refuge in his sovereign care. When the waters rise, when the waters rise, God will hear my cries. His steadfast love will hold me safely there. Jesus, your blood. Jesus, your blood covers all my sins. Jesus, your love draws my heart to sing. Sing that again. Jesus, your blood. Jesus, your blood covers all my sins. Oh, Jesus, your love draws my heart to sing, what a Savior, what a Savior, what a Savior, sing what a Savior, what a Savior, Jesus, amen. Please be
0: seated. We have one prayer request. We have a number of families that are traveling. And we've also got uh, some, in our case, uh, some family members that are traveling that are stranded, plane problems and other things. So that just, you know, that just kind of adds to the whole mess Uh, of the difficulties of traveling and everything so join with me in praying for this Lord we do pray for family members from the harvester other extended family members that are traveling we ask for safety and for strength for them and we pray too for those that are stranded that you would give them grace this is the last thing in the world they wanted but you put them there for this time and you have a way through this situation So would you give them strength for patience? Would you give them grace? Would you show them what to do? And would you enable them to wait patiently as they look for that answer and get their way home? Lord, we thank you that we can pray to you about anything and everything. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So just uh, two announcements. We have youth tonight at 630. Uh, Actually, I should have added for the prayer for traveling for Dan. He is out in Martinsburg, West Virginia, preaching at another PCA church where I think the pastor is on vacation and asked Dan to fill in for him. So that's where he is this morning, but we do have Sunday school at 11:30. We're looking at uh, Esther chapter 6 and continuing that story of God working without openly revealing his hand. Please stand for the benediction. Now may you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. Go in his peace. (laughs)
2: I'm going to hold it against me. I'm going to back. He gets me about him. Although, that's it. <laughs> Yeah. I'm this goal my in my two minutes. seconds.
3: Gracias, I am
4: bring the historical records to his kingdom so they could be read to him. In those records, he, the king discovered an account of how Mordecai had exposed the plot of Fignatha and Teresh, two of the eunuchs who guard the door to the king's private quarters. They had plotted to assassinate the king. What reward or recognition did be ever give Mordecai for this, the king asked. This ended replied. And replied to from the king, Haman is out there. Bring him in, the king ordered. So Haman came in, and the king said, What should I do to honor a man who truly pleases me? Haman thought to himself, Who would the king wish to honor more than me? So he replied, If the king wishes to honor someone, ah, he should bring out one of the king's own royal robes, as well as the king's own horse with a royal emblem on his head
3: let the robes and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials. Let them dress the man whom the king delights to honor, let them lead him on the horse through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Then the king said to him, Hurry, take the robes and the horse, as you have said, and do so to Mordecai the Jew, who sits at the king's gate, got nothing that Rose and the horse, and he dressed Mordecai and led him through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Then Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Haman hurried to his house mourning and with his head covered. Haman said to his wife Zeresh and all his friends everything that had happened to him. Then his wise men and his wife Zeresh said to him, to Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, the Jewish people, you will not overcome him, but will surely fall before him. While they were yet talking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried to bring Naaman to the beast that Mr. Ben day Maybe she's going to bring something. So, oh, I'm just, you know, yeah, yeah. that's part of it. could be a common occurrence. could be. No one else
4: that doesn't say that anyone had a strange reaction to the king not being able to sleep. He's
3: old like me and can't sleep at night. He?
4: <laughs> <laughs>
3: no, no, he's, he's not old like me anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to say. doesn't feel free that he can do it on his own account. Okay. The impression From the perspective of anybody else in the, in the capital city, should Haman have felt change? No. But well, not from
4: anyone else. But his
3: perspective. From his own perspective, because of his own. View.
4: Say that in verse 5, five chapter verse, or chapter 5 verse 14 Said what? Um, let a gallows be made to keep its high and in the morning suggest to the king that Mordecai be hanged on it then go merrily with